who instead of criticizing and seeking to undermine the, the miracles and the, the deity and the essential doctrines of our faith, that they are seeking to instill into young men the message of Christ and of the gospel, so that they will continue the battle for the Bible. Now, not too many of those men had degrees and PhDs, but they did have fire in their souls, and they have left a legacy of those who want to preach the gospel. Now, I have to search my heart tonight, and I have to ask, is there any way that I am guilty of causing people to be half-hearted for God? Welcome again to Let the Bible Speak. This is Pastor Ian Golliher. We have a number of things here on the program today. One is the evil of abortion. Oh, the awful tragedy of daily murders in our nation where children, infants, are torn from their mother's wombs. Uh, it, it is the marker of a society that is so far from God when people do such a thing to their own offspring. And of course, it is done without the realization sometimes that life begins at conception. There are many arguments that try and delay the, the point where that uh, embryo becomes a human being. But there is only one point, one time whenever that infant becomes a human, and that is right at conception, or as the scientist would say, fertilization. And it is then it becomes a living organism and has the capability of developing into full-orbed human life. And there's no other point where the critical uh, union uh, takes place. And so, we're going to look at that today, and I trust that you will uh, be with us and listen to the reasoning of this whole matter of the evils of abortion. The message today is on half-hearted worship. We're looking at Second Kings 13, where we have the King Joash. He is rebuked by Elisha the prophet for only smiting three times, by which he would only have a partial victory over Syria. So stay tuned as we move now firstly to our message in song. May the Lord speak to your heart through his word today. Oh 
And we are to stand, and therefore there is no excuse for half-hearted service. And so we learn from this that there is a future, even though it will be a battle, and even though the enemies are great, there is a future for the people of God. There is a passage where the Apostle Paul counsels Timothy. Timothy, we know, was a little bit timid. He needed to be encouraged not to fear man. And Paul said to him in the first epistle, chapter 118, that thou mightest war a good warfare. Now, in spite of your own natural timidity and in spite of your own youthfulness, be thou an example of the believers. Don't serve half-heartedly. And he went on in the second epistle, and he said in 2 Timothy 1.8, Be thou therefore, be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me his prisoner, but be thou partaker of his afflictions." of the gospel according to the power of God. Now, none of us like to willfully and deliberately walk into conflict. We are called to peace. We are called to humility. But there are times we have to put on the whole armor and to stand and to fight the good fight of faith and to seek the power of our God. So there is no excuse for half-hearted service. The other flip side of that is that constantly, continually in the Bible, the Lord calls His people to wholehearted service. And of course, the, the great commandment, we're to love the Lord our God with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind. And then think of the many admonitions which the Lord gave to his disciples. He said, If any man come to me and hate not his father and mother and wife and children and brethren and sisters, yea, in his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. What a warning. What an exhortation. Another verse and whosoever doth not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. And of course, he goes on in many, many such ways. But I want to move on tonight to this issue. Things that will make us half-hearted. As I look at Joash, as I look at this king of Israel. Why was he so feeble? Why did he smite but 
a few times when he could have been enthusiastic, vigorous, and by the token of this demonstration, future routed the Syrians. Why? Well, a checkered history of service will make us half-hearted. Let's go back to verse 11 in this passage, and we see this king of Israel. Now, in verse 10, he's called Jehoash. In verse 11, we read of him, and he did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord. A man's ways and lack of zeal for the Lord is not the thing of one day. It's the course of a life. And this Joash was a dabbler. He allowed himself to give play to the ways of evil and the ways of sin. And this was in keeping with his character. We're told here in verse 11 that he departed not from the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat. And you can't have it two ways. You can't be red-hot for God. You can't be a man or woman of zeal for the Lord, and yet constantly give play to the ways of evil and of sin. And so Joash was typical of a person who was but playing at religion, playing at serving God. He did not come clean-cut for God, and therefore it's no wonder that when he took those arrows in his hand, he but feebly smote the ground just a few times. If he had, well, what a great victory there would have been, and what a defeat of the Syrians there would have been. And so, this really homes in on us tonight. Where is our wholehearted service? Where is the earnest praying, the earnest seeking God's glory, if we are serving half-heartedly, we will be defeated. We will have very little of the blessing and the power of God. Another reason, another thing that makes men half-hearted is a low view of God's control. That will make us half-hearted. This demonstration, and I come back to it again, where Joash was to take that bow, he was to open the windows, aim out that window, and Elisha put his hands around him. It was a demonstration of the controlling power of God. And as unitedly with the covering of Elisha upon him, that arrow would do its work. It would become the arrow of God's deliverance. But Joash didn't see it that way. He didn't appreciate that this was a token of what God would yet do for the nation and for him. And when we have that low view, 
when our heart thinks, well, God's not working. Where is God? Where is his power? Where is his blessing? Then we will be half-hearted. Another thing that works for half-hearted service is a loss of godly leadership. Israel didn't have godly leadership for many, many years, all the way back to Ahab. In fact, all the way back to Solomon, you have this line of king upon king who were compromisers, apostates, idolaters. They were worldly. They were self-seeking. And Joash was of that line. Now, you'll see in verse 1 that his own father, who was Ahaziah, king of Judah, <clears throat> Jehoahaz, the son of Jehu, began to rule over Israel in Samaria and reign 17 years. And he did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord. So here's a man, and his own father did evil. And so this line of wicked men, this line of men who were apostates and compromisers, it made Joash to have no real zeal for serving the God of Elisha. And so when he took those arrows, he was half-hearted. I'm thankful tonight, and I have to give God the praise for this, that I have the, the privilege of serving in a denomination that 70-something years ago was a call out of apostasy. When the Irish Presbyterian Church had set itself against the gospel, God called men to continue preaching the gospel and form this denomination, the Free Presbyterian Church of Ulster. Now, a good number of those who gave leadership at that time are still alive. Not many are really active, but they are still standing for God, and they leave a legacy of godly ministry and faithful service for God. And you have to understand what a privilege it is to sit in a seminary or a Bible college under men who fear the book, who instead of criticizing and seeking to undermine the, the miracles and the, the deity and the essential doctrines of our faith, that they are seeking to instill into young men the message of Christ and of the gospel so that they will continue the battle for the Bible. Now, not too many of those men had degrees and PhDs, but they did have fire in their souls, and they have left a legacy of those who want to preach the gospel. Now, I have to search my heart tonight, and I have to ask, is there any way that I am guilty of causing people to be half-hearted for God? Am I holding back the truth? Am I holding back the great promises of God that people will not enter into the blessing? Can I say, we will serve the Lord 
with our all. Now, give me those arrows. Give me the hope that this will demonstrate God's power. And many times will we strike the ground. One, two, three, and leave it. Or will we keep on? Because this is God's way of defeating the enemy, those Syrians that were so often invaders leading God's people into bondage. Now, we have tonight the keys and the promises of God of how to withstand the enemy of our souls and the enemy of the gospel. God has given us His Word, and He has given us the means of grace, but we must use them wholeheartedly. There must be no halfway to, half-measure service for God. And I want to ask you tonight, are you willing to serve God with your everything? Because that's exactly what the Lord calls us to do. And I want us to think at the close of this service of some areas in which we just can't afford to be half-hearted. Firstly, in our worship. Worship demands all your heart. The Lord asks you, He says, Son, give me thine heart. And you cannot be halfway in, halfway out. You must worship God with your all. In the book of James, chapter 1, we're told that a man that doubts receives nothing. He that wavereth receiveth nothing. A double-minded man receiveth nothing. And we need to worship with our whole heart. And then we can't afford to be half-hearted in our walk. Amos 3, 3 says, Can two walk together except they be agreed? And it is that unity, that agreement with God, that is required. Total commitment to God's Word. That will fix the problem. Psalm 1-1, the blessed man who delights in the law of the Lord day and night. Or if you wish to read Psalm 119, those first 10 verses or so, the man who is given totally to the Word. I hope that you are such a man or woman tonight. I hope that your heart is saying, Lord, take me, make me your vessel, and bless me. Then also in our witness for Christ. You've had our worship walk, now our witness. And in your witness for the Lord, you can't do it and serve God with all your heart. You cannot be a feather, fair-weather friend to the Lord, changing direction constantly. You need to stick to the task and serve Him. It was said of Reuben that he was unstable as water. You can't serve God in blessing in that fashion. And so these things affect your witness, and you need constant conviction of the truth. And if you're going to be wholehearted, 
you need to settle the great truths of the gospel. The Bible. You need to settle. The Bible is God's Word. The person of Christ. The blood atonement. Justification by faith alone. Power in prayer. Those are the things by which we serve God wholeheartedly. And then you're on your way, and you will seek and have the very blessing of God. Now, there's one little detail in Elisha's life that we haven't yet covered, and I don't know how to make a full sermon out of it, so I will just mention it in closing. When these uh, invaders came in verse 20, the Moabites, and they discovered a dead man, and they threw him into the grave where Elisha was buried— he came alive. He came alive. Elisha's power lived on. His legacy lived on. And that should cause us to think tonight, what of our service for God will live on? What, when we are in the grave, will live on? I trust that our ministry, our witness, our Christian testimony will live on for generations to come, and that even when we're dead, there will be those brought to life, brought to Christ, brought to live for God, and to serve Him all their days. You're listening to Let the Bible Speak. This is Pastor Ian Golliher, and we come now to a little feature on righteousness exalted the nation. And today we want to deal with abortion. In the Canadian courts, there was a recent case of a mother who gave birth but concealed the newborn child. The consequences of the ruling are unclear. The trial judge was especially bothered that he could not identify the moment of the gestational spectrum when a fetus becomes the body of a child for the purpose of this law against concealing. Tried under the law that bans concealing the body of a child with intent to conceal its birth, regardless of whether it died before, during, or after birth, she was acquitted because the Crown had no evidence about when the baby girl actually died. A judge struck out the possibility of a child that died before birth, leaving the Crown unable to prove that she died during or after. Indeed, forensics could only determine the baby was at or near full term. In April 2006, when a building superintendent discovered it, wrapped in towels in a garbage bag on the balcony of a Mississauga, Ontario apartment, vacated by someone close by. This only goes to show the terrible mess our legislators are in regarding abortion. Some will argue that a fetus is not a human in the womb at all, or not until the second or third trimester of gestation. That is, until a mother who wants her baby to live is injured by an assailant, or is in a car accident and the insurance company is sued for the loss of the child. There are cases where 
a hospital has been sued for malpractice leading to the loss of a child's life while in the womb. Drug companies can also be sued for malpractice for not warning of harm to pregnant mothers and their unborn children. The whole legal issue is a mess, for it is morally bankrupt in its approach. The Bible is very clear that life begins at conception. In the Psalm 139.14, we read, I will praise thee, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are thy works, and my soul knoweth it right well. My substance was not hid from thee when I was made in secret, and curiously wrought in the lower parts of the earth. Thine eyes did see my substance, yet being unperfect, and in thy book all my members are written, which in continuance were fashioned, when as yet there was none of them. Now this statement, uh, thine eyes did see my substance, yet being unperfect, is somewhat obscure, but the idea in this expression clearly is, before I had shape or form, Thou didst see what I was to be. The single word in the original translated my substance being on perfect. It occurs only in this place, though the verb galam is found in 2 Kings 8, where it is used in reference to the mantle of Elijah. And Elijah took his mantle and wrapped it together. That is, he rolled it up or he folded it. The noun then means that which is rolled or wrapped together that which is folded up, and hence it is applicable where all the members of the body as yet are undeveloped. That is, before they have assumed their distinct form and proportions. This is undoubtedly the idea here. Before the embryo had any such form that its future size, shape, or proportions could be marked by the eye of man, it was clearly and distinctly known by God. And in thy book, where thou recordest all things, perhaps the allusion here would be to the book of an architect or a draftsman, who before his work is begun, draws his plan or sketches it for the direction of the workmen. Oh, that the judges of our land would take heed to what the Bible says concerning the commencement of life in the womb at the point of conception or fertilization. That's the critical point where life begins, and it solves the issues. And I trust that today that you will take heed that life is sacred. Life begins at conception, and we are each created in the image of God. And therefore, to take that life is indeed an horrendous crime. You are listening to Let the Bible Speak, the radio broadcast of the Free Presbyterian Church in Canada. This is Pastor Ian Golliher. If you missed part of today's program or would like to hear it again, you can find it archived by program date on our website. Just go to www.ltbs.ca. CA for Canada. There you can read my blog, find my Bible study notes, audio and video sermons, as well as helpful articles. Or you can go to our podcast on iTunes. 
We're on the air Sundays at 9.30 a.m. for our full church broadcast and Monday to Friday, 5 a.m. and 5 p.m. on this station to bring you the gospel from our free Presbyterian church here in Cloverdale. We also invite you to our church services on Sundays, 10.30 and 6 p.m. Through our website, you can listen and view to our online services at 10.30 and 6 p.m. Make it your Sunday worship. Click on the Live Now button on the homepage of our website. Or if you would like to talk with me one-on-one as a pastor, please give me a call. The phone number is 604-897-2040. The mailing address is 187 9058 Avenue, Surrey, BC, V3S1M6. We're located just two blocks north of Number 10 Highway on 188th Street. Our website again is ltbs.ca. You can join us Monday to Friday, 5 a.m., 5 p.m., here on this station as we let the Bible speak. Mm-hmm.